Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. All right. Good morning. Um, my name is Dana, and uh, I have a cold this morning. And I'm telling you that because I want you to know that I'm, I have functionally stolen this from someone. Somebody left this here last week. Oh, that's so nice. Um, someone left this here last week, and uh, I stole it from the lost and found to use today. So if you think... Why is the pastor using my travel mug? You can have it back. I just need it for an hour. Um, you know how good it feels to talk to old friends? On Friday, I got to talk on the phone with an old friend of mine, Big Al. Here he is. <laughs> That's really what he's like. Um, I hadn't talked with Al in seven or eight years, and uh, it was amazing. Um, he's this huge man. He's like 6'5", and he has this big, booming voice, and uh, and his wife, Maya, matches him. Like, she uh, can wrangle that guy. And um, Al works... <laughs> I don't think he'd be upset by me saying that. Um, Al works in the downtown east side of Vancouver as a chaplain for some street outreach programs and single residence occupancy hotels. So that's um, very, very low income housing for some of our poorest friends. Um, and he was telling me about that. He said, actually, most of what he's doing right now is running memorial services for people who've died as a direct result of poverty and life on the street. Um, you know, sometimes that's alcohol or drug overdose. Um, so really hard, really hard work, but but beautiful. And as we were talking, he said to me, he said, well, you know, Dana, I'm a pretty old guy. But I'm just learning this thing about God I didn't know, which is that God, like God is always getting bigger. Did you know that? I, you know, like I'm trying not to laugh because this is what he sounds like, except like, well, I got a cold so I could try to sound like him, but I can't. Um, his booming voice. He's always getting bigger. He surprises you. He challenges you. He shows up in places you just never expected to find God. He's always, always getting bigger. And I thought that that lined up pretty nicely uh, with a message I heard a very popular Christian leader and author give a couple years ago where he talked about, he's talking about his own conversion experience and then the multiple like mini conversions that he had had over the course of his life following Jesus. And he said he had come to believe that our lives would always be like that, right? That we would never have like arrived but we would be we would continue to be converted to new parts of God, to new revelation about him as he revealed himself to us. And so for a few weeks now, we've been talking about epiphany. We've been talking about the aha, the spark of revelation, that moment when you realize something new and powerful and important about who God is. 
We talked about epiphany by divine accommodation with the three wise men where God accommodates to them, right? He reaches down, he, he bends, he speaks their language, the language of the stars, so that they can come to know him. We talked about epiphany by divine selection with Zacchaeus last week where God goes looking for, he seeks out and finds the ones he wants, the ones who are lost. And sometimes the ones he wants are the ones who unexpectedly are these powerful, oppressive tyrants who, frankly, we would rather not have included. But God goes out looking for them. So, Epiphany by divine accommodation, by divine selection, and this morning we're going to talk about epiphany by divine potluck. You know, it is satisfying to deliver the punchline in a sermon joke that took three weeks to do the setup for. Yeah. So um, anyway, this story takes place in Acts 10, and we're going to look at part of that together. I'll read it for you. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion of the Italian cohort, as it was called. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. So Cornelius is going to be our guy this morning. And what we know about him is that he's part of the Roman military. Um, The Italian cohort, we don't know that much about, but a cohort was a military term um, for 600 soldiers. And uh, and then a centurion is like a leader who's in charge of a hundred soldiers. So um, so Cornelius would have been one of six centurions in this cohort, in this group of six hundred. So I you know I don't know how powerful that makes him relative to everyone else, right? Like, I think kind of like mid range. Like he's 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 not a hugely powerful person, but not insignificant. And he's a Gentile, which we know because he's serving in the Roman army. But we don't really use the term Gentile very often today, do we? When's the last time someone pointed at you and said, you Gentile? Like that, we don't do that. Which is good, we shouldn't. Um, But here's what it means. Basically, in the story of the Bible, um, God chooses this family. And he chooses the family to be his own people. And they're called the Israelites because their patriarch's name was Israel. And then later they come to be referred to as the Jews. Okay, so the Jews. And then over time, as the family grows and branches out, um, the Israelites become this huge group of people. And so there are the Jews, and then there's everyone else. And, And everyone else, they're called the Gentiles. It's a fancy word for not Jews, um, not God's people. That's what it means. And there are lots of ways that God asks the Jews to keep themselves separate from everyone else so that they could be this holy people who were set apart. There's temple worship and sacrifices and festivals and scripture. But two of the most concrete ways that they live out their separateness is that they had strict dietary laws they had to follow, and all the men were circumcised. Uncomfortable to be part of God's people. Um, so that's how, that's how the Jews are set apart. And by the time we reach this particular story, there's another little group in the picture, and they're called the believers, 
or the people who are following Jesus, who would later come to be called Christians. And the Christians, practically speaking, are a subset of the Jews. So you'll notice in my very attractive Venn diagram that um, the overlap between Christians and Jews is 100%. But there's zero overlap between the Gentiles and either of the other groups. Now, it was possible for people to move between the groups, but it was a big deal. It's not like switching churches today. Um, Okay, that's I I don't mean that in a mean way, right? Like, at best, though, if you change churches and you do a great job at it, you meet with the pastor and then you write a letter asking for your membership to be transferred. It's fairly simple. It's not. It was a little bit harder here. If a Jew became a Christian, they had to be immersed in water, baptized, and then usually fairly quickly after that, they received the Holy Spirit. If a Gentile came to believe in God and wanted to become a Jew, he had to convert to Judaism, which meant adopting all the worship practices, all the dietary laws, and snip, snip, being circumcised. Okay, so that's, well, people did it. Um, And if a Gentile wanted to become a Christian, They had to go through the whole shebang. So first they had to become a Jew, and then they they had to become a Christian and get baptized. Okay, so this is the picture that helps us understand the social organization that is the backdrop of this story. So we'll go back to Cornelius. We know he's a Gentile, and we also know that he was a devout man who feared God. And that means that even though he's not a Jew, he's... Like, he's involved with the Jewish God. And it's more than just interest because he's giving alms to people in response to God's teaching. And he prays constantly to God. And he leads his household to do the same. So he hasn't converted yet. All his parts are still intact. But he's de- that's that, I think that's the last circumcision joke. Um, but, <laughs> but he is definitely connected to God. And one afternoon, at about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw clearly an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He answered, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa for a certain Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the seaside. So Cornelius has this vision. He sees an angel who tells him two things. First, I love this, so beautiful. He tells him, God sees what you're doing, and he's pleased with you. That's so nice for him to hear, right? Can you imagine how affirming that would be to know that the God that you've been praying to is saying, I see that. The second thing is that the angel says, I want you to send some guys to find Peter. Now, I don't know about you, but if that was me, I would be asking, (laughs) for what? (laughs) Why? Why would I need to find Peter? But Cornelius doesn't ask. And maybe, maybe I wouldn't ask either if it was an angel. I don't know. He just does exactly what God says he obeys. And so then the camera angle changes in the story. Cornelius sends his guys off. 
And the camera sweeps all the way across the landscape to Joppa and settles on Peter. If you are not familiar with Peter, he is your classic strong-willed child. Right? Anybody have one of those? Raised one of those? Yeah. He's a character. He overpromises things. You know, he's impulsive. He's violent. He corrects Jesus in public. He's bullheaded. He even, near the end, when you'd think he'd know better, denies Jesus, denies even knowing him. But, oh, man, does he ever love him. Right? He passionately loves Jesus. And Jesus loves Peter. And he works with him and he checks his, you know, bullheadedness and he forgives him and he welcomes him back in. And now Peter has received the Holy Spirit and he's leading this brand new Christian church in Jerusalem. So he's the head guy now. So this is this is where we pick up the story with Peter. Peter went up on the rooftop to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw something, he saw the heavens opened up and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. And then he heard a voice saying, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again a second time, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and then the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven. So Peter's praying, and he falls into a trance, and he sees this big sheet come down out of the sky, full of animals. This is a very weird vision. Right. The description is like oddly specific. It's full of four footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Basically, what that means is it's full of every kind of creature that lives on the ground. Every kind, including all the kinds of animals that the dietary laws strictly forbid Jews from eating. You really want to get into that. Leviticus 11 gives a full list of the animals that are clean for eating and not clean for eating. Um, but a brief picture, like so that you understand some of the specificity, is that animals that have both divided hoofs and chew the cud are clean. So like a cow. But pigs who have a divided hoof but do not chew the cud are unclean. Okay, so there's all kinds of things that are involved in that. So things like lizards and camels and owls and ravens and tons of other things are just totally, like that is unclean, unthinkable for eating. And to make it more complicated than that, anything that even touches an unclean animal also becomes unclean. So like a chameleon is wandering around and falls into your cooking pot well, that thing is unclean now. It's got to be go through a process, a ritual cleaning before you can use it again. It's complicated. It is a massive undertaking to adhere to Jewish dietary laws. So when Peter sees this big sheet of animals come down out of the sky, 
teeming, right, with every kind of animal, and hears a voice saying, kill and eat. He recoils from that. There is absolutely no way that Peter, who is a faithful Jew, would consider eating those unclean animals or anything that's touched them. And so I want to pause for a second because I realize that, um, like, we don't really have a lot of dietary laws um, as Christians. And sometimes we read about them like this in kind of a disconnected way or pretty far removed, and they seem silly, like really unnecessary. But the thing is, the Jews were a people who were devoted to God. And it permeated every moment of every day. Through circumcision, every Jewish boy was marked in his body from birth as belonging to the Creator God. That's an incredibly beautiful thing. He wore his identity and his heritage in his flesh. And keeping the dietary laws, that was an incredible act of self-discipline and consecration of daily life. Three times a day, at least, you would practice submission and obedience to God as you perform your most basic task, which is eating. Think about that. How many times a day do you have to make a concrete choice to discipline yourself to obey God? Certainly not when we eat, right? We just grab whatever's in the fridge or on sale at the store and chow down. Who cares? These guys didn't do it like that. They thought about their faith and their relationship to God every time they purchased food. How was it raised? What has it touched? Every time they prepared food, every time they ate. These dietary laws, whatever else they may be, were certainly a profound way of putting faith into action on a daily basis. So when Peter sees the sheet and exclaims, by no means, Lord, that's a faithful answer, a really faithful answer. He's expressing that he would never, ever consider violating God's law, no matter how hungry he was. He sees that sheet lowered three times, and he refuses three times. And three times the voice says, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. And then it's over. They're learning about fighting giants in the Sunday school, so that's what the banging is. Yeah, good. Uh, just letting you know. Um, three times the sheet comes down and then it's done. That must have been so confusing, right? So strange. Why would God say that? Why would he show him that? And then there's a knock on the door. Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he'd seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and standing by the gate They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Get up and go down and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, 
I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging. The men come and ask for him, and the Holy Spirit tells Peter, like, very clearly, I sent those men, you go with them. And it's funny when you listen to the men describing Cornelius, right? He's, he's an upright and God-fearing man. The whole Jewish nation speaks well of him. And a holy angel sent him here. They're making their case, aren't they? They're here, like they're doing what Cornelius asked them to do, but they don't think Peter's going to come with them. Because a Jew should not and would not ever go into a Gentile home. Because they didn't keep the dietary laws and their whole home and kitchen and food would be unclean. Peter can invite them in to spend the night, which he does. That's normal. They Gentiles can stay in a Jewish home. That home is still clean. The dietary laws are still preserved. There's no, nobody's becoming unclean. But the question is whether Peter is going to go with them to their house. And he does. The next day he got up and went with them. And some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following day they came to Caesarea Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, and falling at his feet, he worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I'm only a mortal. And as he talked with them, he went in and found that a great many had assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now, may I ask why you sent for me? So he goes with them, and some other Christians go along to see what's going to happen. And when they get there, there's this big crowd, and Cornelius has been bringing people together, getting ready for Peter. And I just want to point out that when it says in this text that Cornelius worshipped Peter. It's not um, its not like he worshipped him like he was God. He's not confused about him being God. It's just a mark of respect. Um, and it's one of the first signs that something is changing in Peter when he says basically, oh, don't do that. We're the same, you and I. And then he turns to the crowd and he states what is painfully obvious to everyone there. I shouldn't even be here, right? That's what he's saying. You know and I know it's against my law for me to be in this house. But, I love the word but in scripture, don't you? It always means that God is about to do something different, about to change things. But God showed me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. This is huge. It's huge. Peter has made the connection between the animals in the sheet and the people who are gathered around him in that house. And his understanding of God just got blown out of the water. 
In the words of my friend Big Al, God is way bigger than we think. Peter asks a great question that we might overlook. He says, okay, I came. Now, what am I here for? Why did you send for me? Isn't it funny? I love this part. All the way through the story, nobody knows why they're supposed to meet. Neither one of the two men know what this is really for. Cornelius is told, go get Peter. Why? Just go get him. Peter's told, go to Cornelius. Why? Just go. And so then they finally get together, and Peter says, so um, what am I here for? And Cornelius just tells Peter about his vision, which does nothing to clear up the reason, and throws it back to Peter. He's so what do you have to say? Nobody knows what it's for. This is the climax of the story. Why are these two men here together? So Peter starts talking. I have so much sympathy for this as a preacher. You know, well, what do you have to say? I don't know. It just came, right? So he starts talking, and he's and he is really honestly sharing exactly what God is teaching him in that moment. This is real time. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That's the first reason for this meeting, to understand and proclaim that there is no barrier between people and God. That seems simple, but it's huge. Remember this picture, the Jews and the Gentiles? Peter is saying, this social organization is finished. This doesn't hold up anymore. There is no barrier between Jews and Gentiles. Epiphany. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to read it to you because I think this is one of the clearest and simplest and most beautiful ways uh, to deliver the message about who Jesus is and what he means. Here it is. Peter is delivering this, I think, in such a beautiful and free spirit with an open heart in light of his recent realization. He says, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And that message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John pronounced, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Well, we, he says, are witnesses to all that he did, which is true, because Peter saw everything. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as his witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter is still speaking, 
the most amazing thing happens. The Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and this whole crowd in his house, and it falls in exactly the same way that it came on Peter and the apostles. And the Jews in the crowd who came with Peter, they are astounded. Their minds are blown because they can hear these Gentiles speaking in tongues, and they know that means that they have received the Holy Spirit. That's, I mean, it's a familiar story, but it's insane. Like, in theory, the Jews, the followers of Jesus, knew the command to go and make disciples of all the nations, okay? But they absolutely, 100% assumed that that meant becoming, that becoming a follower of Jesus meant first becoming a Jew, Right? They assumed that you had to move through the bubbles. And so what we miss in the story and what they are astounded by is what's missing in the conversion. These men who are speaking in tongues have not been circumcised. They have not become Jews. And God has given them his spirit anyway. Since God, through his spirit, skipped that part of the equation, Peter follows his lead. He says, well then, can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who've received the spirit just as we have? And so he baptizes them and he stays with them for several days, his new friends and fellow Christians. It's a beautiful story. And I'm going to make just a couple of points for us at the end. First of all, this story teaches us that you do not have to change your cultural identity to become a Christian. How many of you are culturally Jewish? Anybody? None. Then guess what? This is your story. This is why you're here today in the church following Jesus, but not a Jew. We are Cornelius in this story, and God's insistence that Peter change his mind is what opens the door for us to be part of his kingdom. Because it's Peter who influences all the future expectations of conversion in this new Christian church. Right, A few chapters later in Acts 15, Largely because of this story, the leaders of the church decide formally, they write it down in the bylaws, that Gentiles do not have to be circumcised before they become Christians. Peter learns right here this day that everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness through his name and that God shows no partiality. And that changes everything. Second, Sometimes you have to live out your epiphanies. There are so many places in this story where God could have just told them what was going on. Right? He could have just told Cornelius about Jesus himself. He could have just told Peter, I want you to, I want you to accept the Gentiles. That why? gets left hanging for a really long time. They get asked to do some things without a lot of explanation because 
it's way more powerful for Peter to discover this reality of no partiality, to have a flesh and blood epiphany as he meets his new friend than to just see or hear those words. He has to live that out. And what that means for us is that when something is strange or confusing, our invitation is to keep obeying God. Keep walking it out because you might be quite close to living your epiphany. Finally, God is way bigger than you think. And he's always getting bigger. His kingdom is expanding. And it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. We never know it all. Beware of that thought, right? Beware of that place in you that says, well, I pretty much know what God would ask me to do or not do. Because Peter is the first disciple. He is the leader of the church, arguably the closest friend of Jesus. And he didn't know what God would ask him to do. He didn't know. So here's my question for you. If it's coming down out of the sky, what's on your sheet? What are the obvious no's? The barriers. What are the places that you are sure God would reject? The people you're positive he would want to change before they came to know him. The cultural practices he would never accept. Is it turbans or hijabs or dream catchers? Is it people in bars or in yoga classes or political rallies or gay pride parades? What's on your sheet? The beautiful thing about this story is that God was already very much at work in Cornelius' life. God doesn't really need Peter to reach Cornelius, does he? They were doing fine on their own. He calls Peter into this complication. He chooses to use Peter so that Peter will have an epiphany about where God is already at work, where he's already calling people to himself. What's on your sheet? Whatever it is, I guarantee that God is already at work there. No matter how uncomfortable that makes you. May you, my friends, may we all have the courage to follow him when he decides to show us just how big he really is. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged, too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.